this morning we'll open back up to Acts. I don't know how long we've been in Acts. It's been a while. We'll be here a while longer, I'm sure. But we are in Acts 15. That's where we got to at the end of last semester before we kind of took a break for summer. So we will start off in Acts 15. So pretty much we're about halfway through the book of Acts. But let me just kind of give you a recap as we start back of not only what we're studying the book of Acts, but why we are studying the book of Acts. Now, we've talked about who wrote the book of Acts. Of course, Luke wrote that. And all really the book of Acts is, is just a continuation of the story, the story of Jesus. So really, you can read the gospel, the book of Luke, and you can just keep reading on into Acts because that's all Luke does. He just continues the story of Jesus. And I know we don't think about the book of Acts being a continuation of the story of Jesus, but it is a continuation of the story of Jesus. Because when Jesus died and was resurrected, his story didn't stop. Even when he ascends to be with the Father in heaven, guess what? His story doesn't stop. And so it is just the story of Jesus Christ. So at the very first part of the book of Acts, what Jesus is doing is he is meeting with disciples. He is meeting with believers, hundreds of them, in fact. And he is doing two things. He is proving to them that he is alive. So I don't know how he did that. I don't know if they came up and touched him. I don't know what he did, but he proved to him, to them, that he was alive. And then the other thing he did for 40 days and 40 nights is he told them and taught them about the kingdom of God. That's the book of Acts, the kingdom of God. And that's what he taught them. Now, in that time period, I'm assuming that he told them not only what the kingdom of God is, but how they were a part of the kingdom of God and how they are going to advance the kingdom of God all the way to the ends of the earth. And of course, he gives them a promise in that. And at the very first part in verse four, he tells them, guys, you need to do something for me. You need to wait here in Jerusalem until the promise is fulfilled. Until you receive the promise, you wait. Now, of course, the promise that we have been talking about is the Holy Spirit of God. That is the promise. All four Gospels talk about the promise. In the book of Acts, they talk about the promise twice. They're in verse 4 and then again in Acts 1.8. And so the promise is the Holy Spirit of God. And this is what Jesus says in Luke 24, verse 49. He says that when the Holy Spirit of God comes upon you, he is going to clothe you with power, power from on high. Okay, we talked about another word the book of Acts uses. It talks about being baptized in the Holy Spirit of God. Now, we hear all kinds of things in our day, what baptism is, especially the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But do you know what the word literally baptizo means? All it means is to immerse, to dunk, to submerge. So it's not a biblical word. It's not even a spiritual word. It was a word in the first century that you would use if you're going down to the creek to wash clothes. They would say, I'm baptizing my clothes because that's how you wash them. You dunk them in water. So what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, I went swimming this weekend. Do you know what I did when I went swimming? I jumped in the water. And what did that water do? It covered me. It surrounded me. It clothed me. It immersed me, right? So what Jesus is promising here is when the Holy Spirit of God comes, what's going to happen to these believers? They're going to be immersed. They're going to be clothed. They're going to be surrounded. They're going to be overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit of God. And not only that, but with power. Luke 24, 49, read it. That's the promise, power of the Holy Spirit. 
course, Jesus says it again in Acts 1.8. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive what? Power to be my witnesses everywhere. He tells it, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that really is the outline for the book of Acts. That last part of verse 8 is the outline for the entire book. Because the first six, seven chapters or so of the book of Acts is the church in Jerusalem. Okay, that's where they start. But then you go on after that, Acts chapter 8, guess where they start moving? Judea and Samaria. You get to Acts chapter 13, where do they start going? They start going Samaria, which is really new cultures, but then all the way to the ends of the earth because that's when the mission journeys start in Acts chapter 13. And we're still living that ends of the earth today. So the book of Acts is not over. It's not done. We're living it today. So right after Jesus says that in verse 8 and verse 9, he ascends to the Father to sit at the right hand of God. And what is he doing right now at the right hand of God? Go read Romans 8. He's doing something very specific. He's interceding for you if you are a child of God. He's praying for you. He's interceding on your behalf. And he's just sitting there waiting to come back. Because right after he goes, the disciples are staring, looking, and just, well, what just happened? And two angels show up. You know what they say? Guys, why are you standing gawking into heaven? Jesus is coming back just the way you saw him go. So Jesus is waiting. Do you know what he's waiting for to come back? He's waiting for God to tell him to come back. He's waiting for the Father to tell him it's time. And then he will return. But until that day... What has he called us to do? Be his witnesses everywhere. So he goes up, the Holy Spirit comes down, and the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 fills the believers. And what is the Bible? How does the Bible describe the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives? It's like tongues of flame. It's fire. The Holy Spirit of God is a fire that comes upon you. And so we have a choice as believers. We can either quench that fire, put it out, or we can fan the flames, and we can do miraculous things just like the early church did because the early church fanned the flames of the Holy Spirit of God. You know how they did it? Through obedience. That's how they did it. They did whatever Jesus said, and whatever Jesus said they did, and the Holy Spirit of God kindled and ignited the move of God like you've never seen in the book of Acts. Go read Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches, 3,000 people are saved. Go read Acts chapter 3. They're walking to the temple to pray. There's a lame beggar who's been lame from birth, and Peter, as he begs for money, Peter says, I ain't got silver and gold, but I'll give you what I got. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. He stands up and walk. And then the Bible says Peter sees his opportunity because the crowd gathers, and what does Peter do? preaches the word of God. And then at the end of that sermon, there are 5,000 more that come to faith in Christ. Then Peter's arrested. John's arrested. They try to put out the work of the Holy Spirit. But guess what the church does? In Acts chapter 4, towards the end, they pray. And the Bible says in verse 31, at the end of the prayer, the meeting place where they were shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. And so they went out of that place with boldness. And you read about signs and wonders and miracles in Acts chapter 5. Then they're arrested again, not just John and Peter. This time all the apostles are arrested, and they're beaten. They are beaten. But do you know what they do? Do you know how they walk away after being flogged and beaten with whips? The Bible says they walk away rejoicing. Why? Because they're like Christ. That's why. And then you read Acts chapter 6, and Satan tries to stop the church again with some problems and widows. But guess what? The church does what God says to do. They appoint deacons. And guess what? Even Pharisees, even priests start getting saved after that. And then, of course, we have the arrest of Stephen, one of those deacons. 
And in Acts chapter 6 and 7, you see what happens to him. He's stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. Then Acts chapter 8, persecution comes to the church. But it doesn't stop the move of God. Because we read Acts 8, 4. Do you know what happens when the church is scattered? They preach the gospel everywhere they went. Philip, for example, that's what it talks about. Philip goes to the city of Samaria, and he preaches, and the people listen intently. And the whole city saved. And there's great joy in the city. And then the Holy Spirit of God just snatches Philip up and says, I want you to go somewhere else. He says, where do you want me to go, Holy Spirit? And he says, I want you to go to the desert. And for whatever reason, he leaves a city where hundreds and thousands of people are being saved, and he goes to the desert, and there's one man there, an Ethiopian, and that Ethiopian's reading Isaiah 53, and he has no clue what he's reading. Philip tells him what he's reading. He's baptized and saved that day in the desert. And then he takes the gospel to a continent that's never heard the gospel, Africa. And then Acts chapter 9, that's where Saul, who is persecuting the church in Acts chapter 8, he's miraculously converted. And the Holy Spirit of God falls upon him. He doesn't start using him immediately because the church is still afraid of him. But you keep going in Acts chapter 10, Peter finally takes the gospel, thank God, to the Gentiles. Because you're probably a Gentile in this room. Thank God for that. And then in Acts chapter 11, the gospel makes it all the way to the city of Antioch. Antioch of Syria, and the gospel is spread there, and so many miraculous things are happening there. The church in Jerusalem sends somebody to see what's happening. His name's Barnabas, and Barnabas goes, and he can't believe what he sees, and the Bible says there in Acts chapter 11, he goes and finds that man who was converted in Acts chapter 9, Saul, and he goes to Tarsus, and he gets him, and he brings him to Antioch, and he mentors him, and he disciples him, and he is the reason Paul is who he is later down the road and everything else we read in the Bible. So they're there in Antioch for an entire year, and Barnabas and Saul, they pastor that church, they preach to that church, they speak to that church, and then in Acts chapter 13, that church, by the leading of the Holy Spirit of God, sends Paul and Barnabas out on the first missionary journey. And we still do missions today because of Acts chapter 13. And then Acts chapter 13 and 14, Paul and Barnabas go, and they go to the region of Galatia. That's Galatians in your Bible. It's not a specific church. It's a region. It's Lystra. It's Derby. It's all these cities. They go to this region, and they preach the gospel, and God does amazing things. But guess what? It's not always easy. Some opposition comes against Paul. Do you know what they do to him? They stone him. They kill him. And it says there they think they've killed him. I think he's dead. I'll talk about that Sunday because we're going to talk about a verse in 2 Corinthians 12. Do you know where Paul goes in 2 Corinthians 12? He goes to heaven. And so he goes to heaven and he gets to hear some things that no man can speak of. And that's talking about when he's dead there in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 14. But the church, you know what the church does when he's laying there dead? Prays for him. And what happens to Paul or Saul? Raises up. And they finally make their way back to Antioch of Syria. And they're reporting all the miraculous things God did on that first missionary journey. And then we come to chapter 15. That's where we're at. So brief over you, probably not so brief. But that's how we get to Acts chapter 15. Now here's something I want you to not only know what we're studying, but I want you to know why we're studying it. Because in Acts chapter 15, this is a really important chapter for not only to you to understand the rest of the book of Acts, but for you to understand the rest of Paul's writings in the New Testament, basically. Because what happens in Acts chapter 15 is some false teachers come into the church of Antioch of Syria. And they start teaching false doctrine. I'm telling you, Antioch of Syria is a great church. 
It's a church I would love for our church to be modeled. It's a great church. But guess what? All churches have problems. Even the early church had problems. They even lit the flame of the Holy Spirit of God. There's a place in there. It talks about Ananias and Sapphira, right? They had problems. Widows started raising up and getting angry with each other and angry with the church. They had problems. In Antioch, a great church, they had false teachers come in. And that's what we're going to read about today. But here's the thing. I tell you this, and I want you to understand why we're studying the book of Acts. This is important not because it's something that happened almost 2,000 years ago. This is important to what's happening today because this is what I believe with all my heart. I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. And why do I believe that? Well, the Bible says that. So if you don't believe that, you got a problem with the Bible, not me. The Bible says that. And even Jesus says, I'm not going to tell you exactly when I'm coming back, but there's going to be some signs. And it's just like looking and figuring out what the weather is going to be tomorrow. You should be able to look and figure out Jesus is coming back pretty soon. It's getting quick. It's getting close. And I believe we're getting close to the day of the return of Jesus Christ. I believe that. I believe we're living in the last days, whatever that means. I believe that. And so I believe what's going to happen before Jesus Christ returns is all he's going to do is the exact same thing he did in the book of Acts. I believe the church, and when I'm talking about the church, the church age, I believe the church is going to end the same way it began. So what you read about in the book of Acts, what happened in the book of Acts in the beginning is what it's going to be right before the return of Jesus Christ. That's what it's going to be exactly. Go read Acts chapter 2. Peter says it, and he's quoting Joel chapter 2 as what his prophecy is. In the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit just like he did in the first days of the church. And he's going to pour it out on men and women, young and old, and young men and young women will prophesy, and the old will have visions and dream dreams. He's poured it out. And his word is going to go forth like it's never gone forth before. Why? Because he says in Matthew 24, 14, that the gospel has to reach all people before he comes back. So all languages, all tongues are going to have to hear the name Jesus. And so that's happening in our day. But he also gives us some other signs like what's happening in Maui, like wars, like things that we cannot explain. There's a lot happening that the Bible prophesies and foretells right before the return of Christ Jesus. So not only do I want you to be ready for that, I want you to be a part of that because we are called to be a part of that. And God placed you on this earth in a very specific time for a very specific reason to prepare the way for the king to come. And the way that happens is for people to hear that name and for people to have an opportunity to receive Christ Jesus. If you don't believe that, go read 2 Peter 3, 9. Because the Bible says there specifically that God is being patient. And what is he being patient about? His promise. Now, this isn't the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is the promise of the return of Christ Jesus. How do I know? Because this is what he says. He says God's heart is for everyone to come to repentance and no one to be destroyed. How is that possible? claiming and calling on the name Jesus. But when he returns, it's too late. Because you can read Revelation for that. But until that day, we're called to do something. And one of the things we're called to do, we're going to read about in Acts chapter 15, because we're called to protect the church and protect the truth of the gospel. Amen? Because in our day, there's a lot of people who say things that aren't truth. And does Jesus not foretell us that's going to happen? What does Jesus say? Listen to Matthew 24, 24. 
Jesus says, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up. They will perform great signs and wonders as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I warned you ahead of time. So he warned us this is going to happen. Not only did he warn us, do you know who else warns us? The Apostle Paul, who we're going to read about in Acts chapter 15. But listen to what he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. This is what he says is going to happen in the last days. He says, Timothy, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead, when he comes to set up his kingdom. Now, what did Jesus talk about in the book of Acts? The kingdom of God for 40 days. When he, Jesus, comes to set up his kingdom. But this is what Paul's charge to Timothy is. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, encourage the people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and they will chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation and don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. So people will not only look for preachers and teachers who will tickle their ears and tell them whatever they want to hear. Guess what? They will find them. And I'm telling you in our day, they are finding preachers and teachers who will tell them anything they want to hear because it's a lot easier to tell people what they want to hear rather than to tell them truth. Because guess what the truth does? It cuts and it hurts and people don't like it. They don't like it. You ought to hear some of the emails I get. I'll let you read them sometime. Truth hurts. But guess what? Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. That's what Paul says. Don't be afraid of it. Did Jesus Christ suffer? Yeah. Does he ever say, you ain't going to suffer? No, in fact, he says the opposite of that. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. That's what he says. You will have trouble. You will suffer. And I'm telling you, in the last days, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're really going to suffer. Jesus talks about that, too, in the Gospels. Maybe you want to read that. Go read Matthew chapter 10. He's sending us out as sheep among wolves. That ain't good for the sheep. So don't be afraid to suffer, but always speak truth. Why? Because just a little deceit can turn people away from the Lord. And Satan is even going to come after the chosen ones, those followers of Jesus Christ, to deceive them into not doing what Jesus has called us to do. Amen? That's what's going to happen. Let me show you how it happened in the book of Acts. And this is probably how it'll happen today. So look there in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. This is what the Bible says. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, that church that sent them out, they go back to report everything that's happened. This is what happened. As they were there, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach who? The believers, the brothers, these are the chosen ones. What did Jesus say in Matthew 24, 24? Going to try to deceive the chosen ones. So he began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, and look how they argued. They argued, right? Did they just say, oh, brothers, let's let us try to set you straight. And today, you think they had a calm voice? Or do you think they got a little angry with righteous anger there? They were mad because these guys were not speaking truth. So they argued with them vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being converted. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Okay. So basically you have these guys from Judea or these sect of the Pharisees that rise up and begin to teach a false gospel. Now, how do we know it is a false gospel? This is how you know anything is a false gospel. If it requires something for salvation other than Christ Jesus, okay? That is a false doctrine. That is heresy. Salvation comes through who? Jesus Christ who did the work of salvation for you on the cross. And you can be assured of that because God raised him from the dead. And what do we do to be saved? Romans 10, 9. We believe in our heart that God did what he said he would do, and he raised him from the dead, and then we do something else. We confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then you shall be saved. That is salvation. That is it. All you do is believe in Jesus, and then you make him the Lord of your life. Now, let me say this because this is a problem, okay? A lot of people love the idea of Jesus Christ being their Savior, okay? We like that because all of us want to be saved from what the Bible tells us is our condemnation and our judgment if we're not saved. What is that? It's eternal separation from God in a place called hell. So we want Jesus to be our Savior, right? That's not too hard to take on. But there's two things you have to do according to Romans 10, 9. He's just not your Savior unless he's your what? Lord, okay? So that lordship there, I know that's a churchy word, but that just means he's the boss of your life. He's in charge now. You give him control. And so what does that mean? You do what he says, okay? If you had a boss in this life and you didn't do what he said, how long are you going to have a job? Not long, right? I mean, you just ain't going to work very long for that dude. Okay, so let's think about it in spiritual terms with Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is truly your Lord, are you going to do what he says? Sure, you're going to do what he says. You're going to be obedient to his word. Now, I'm not saying you got to be perfect. Nobody's going to be perfect in that. But you are obedient to what he says. You do what he says. But there are so many people who claim that Jesus is their Savior, but he's not their Lord. And they might have prayed a prayer at one point. They might have even been baptized. And they might have believed that Jesus is Savior doesn't matter if he's not their Lord. You realize that? They don't have fruit in their life. 
they are obedient to the commands of Scripture, then there's a problem. Okay, that's salvation. Faith and lordship, that's salvation. According to Romans 10, 9, according to Jesus, pretty obvious. What do you got to pick up to follow him? A cross. Okay, that's not easy. You got to pick it up and follow him. Okay, but false teaching is adding anything to that. And what were these guys from Judea, the sect of the Pharisees, doing? Adding to Jesus. And what were they adding to Jesus? Judaism. It's what they're adding to Jesus. They're adding the Old Testament law. They say, hey, if you want to be a follower of Christ, you got to be circumcised. But not only that, you got to obey the whole law. Now, what couldn't the Jews do? They couldn't obey the law. Nobody could obey the law. Even the Pharisees that professed the law, they couldn't even obey it. And not only did they want to obey the law of Moses, you know what they did? They added gazillions and thousands of regulations and oral teaching to the law that they said you had to follow as well. There's no way you can do that. So why did God give us the law in the first place? To show us our need for a Savior. But now they're trying to point people back to the law. So thank God for Paul and Barnabas because they stood up. They said, this is heresy. This is a lie. Don't listen to this garbage. And they're trying to protect their church, the church of Antioch, the church that sent them out. And they want them to know that the truth is Jesus and only Jesus. Now, I guess it's a good thing that the church leaders in Antioch are a lot nicer than I am because they probably handled this a lot better than I would have handled it. But they said, well, let's do this. Let's go back to the church of Jerusalem and let's basically have a discussion and let's decide the matter. And so that's what they did. Paul and Barnabas go back to the church there in Jerusalem, to the apostles and to the elders. And then also there is a pastor there, the church in Jerusalem. Do you know who that is at this point? You can read about it later on in Acts chapter 15, but it is James. Okay, this would be the half-brother of Jesus, the one that wrote the book of James in the Bible. He's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. But then you have apostles like Peter, because he's going to speak later in chapter 15. So you have the apostles, you have the disciples. Now there's one apostle that's not there anymore. Do you know who that is? Not to be confused with the James that's there. You remember what happens in Acts chapter 12? The apostle James is killed. He's martyred for Christ, the first martyr for Christ. So that's the apostle James, the brother of John, sons of thunder. But James here in Acts chapter 15 is the half-brother of Jesus. So they go back to Jerusalem to talk about this false teaching that has come up. And so they do that, and they're there. And they're there for one specific reason. They're there to protect the gospel of Jesus Christ and to preserve his teaching. Now, just real quick, I know I'm running out of time, but I want you to show you just how this affects Paul's ministry the rest of his life on this earth. Because this group of guys, this sect of Pharisees, the Judaizers, as they're called in the Bible, they're going to show up again and again and again. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to spew false teaching in every church that Paul starts, basically. They're going to kind of follow behind him. And everywhere Paul shares the gospel, everywhere a church sprouts up, they're going to come in behind and say, oh, this is not all the truth. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. And Paul don't like the guys. He calls them dogs. It's in the Bible. Read it. He calls them dogs. But let me just read you in the book of Galatians 
what happens and why Paul writes the book of Galatians. Now remember, Galatia is not a church. Galatia is a region, and it's the region of Acts 13 and 14. And so all these churches in Acts 13 and 14 that Paul and Barnabas go and start and miracles happen, these false teachers come in behind them. And so this is what Paul says in Galatians 2. He says, starting in verse 1, Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas. So what's he talking about? He's talking about Acts chapter 15, okay? He's just retelling the story of Acts chapter 15. Galatians is almost autobiographical. That's how kind of Paul writes Galatians. But he's talking about this. So I, again, go back to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus, and he comes along. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message that I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. So what do you think happens in Acts chapter 15? The leaders of the church of Jerusalem say, this is garbage. These guys are teaching false doctrine. Paul tells you, they didn't even demand this of Titus, a Gentile. But then go on to read. This is what he says in verse 4. Even that question came up only because some so-called believers, they're false ones, really. Okay, so were these Judaizers followers of Christ? No, they were false followers of Christ. And how do you know? Because they're preaching a false gospel. They're what Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, 24. There will be false teachers. There will be false prophets. And they may sound good. They may, may look good because they can they do signs and wonders. But they're false. And how do you know they're false? Because of the word of God. If they don't stay true to the word of God, it is false teaching. They are false prophets. They are false teachers. And guess what? We got a lot of them in our day. And they have big churches, by the way. This is what he says. He goes on. They were false, but they were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and to take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Aren't you thankful for the Apostle Paul? Because guess what would be doing today if he hadn't have preserved the truth of the gospel message for us? We'd be eating kosher. And I like ribs and I like pork. <laughs> so thank God for Paul. But I mean, we'd be living by Old Testament law. But he didn't give in for a single moment. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Because in Galatians 2, this is what it says. It says, these so-called believers were secretly brought in. Okay, now here's the question, and it's a question for us today as we live on this earth. Who secretly brought in those guys with a false message, with a false gospel to try to deceive? Who brought them in? It's Satan. Satan is who brought them in. Okay, Satan is the deceiver, right? Satan is the father of lies. 
And is Satan working in the church? You better believe it. So how do we know when it's Satan rather than Christ? Because Satan, all he is, is a false Christ. How do we know? Right here. That's why we stay true to this. That's why you need to know this. Because when something else is preached, your antenna needs to go up quickly. And how is that going to be possible if you don't know the Word of God? It's not possible. And that's how people are deceived. Every single day in churches all across America and all around the world, today in which we live, you better know the Word of God. Amen? Know the Word of God. So that's why we're studying the book of Acts. So not only do you know the Word of God, but you know what God is doing and what He's going to do through you in the last days that we live on this earth. Amen? Amen. So we'll keep going because Acts gets even better. It's a great book, and it's a book that we live. So let me pray for us. Bow with me, Lord.